This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good day, Adam. How are you going? Oh, I'm doing pretty well, thank you. How about you? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. think I might have COVID, but other than that, so I'll go on. Everyone's got COVID these days. I know, it's not special anymore. It's not a big deal it? anymore. Yeah. It's not a thing. Can't even get time off work for it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, big shout out to you out there. Thank you for all your emails and messages. Keep them coming. CVE at equitymates.com or on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. Matt sent us a message just to say that he enjoys the show and that he listens to it with his partner every week, which, Thomas, I've never thought of CVE as a couple's experience, but to each their own, I guess. Whatever gets you in the mood, right? Well, I like to frame my voice to be couples friendly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> voice like melted chocolate. <laughs> uh, right, well, thank you, Matt, for tuning in anyway. We do uh, do appreciate both of you listening. Uh, and next week, Thomas, we're actually going to be on a break, you and I, not together, mm. but uh, separately I'm going camping. It's also my daughter's birthday. Uh, so we're going to be away, but good news, filling that CVE-sized hole in your lives will be a special run of a new podcast here at Equity Mates Media called The Dive, featuring none other than Sasha, who does amazing work each and every week producing this show. She is bringing you a new show called The Dive. Uh, It's coming to your ears three times a week, breaking down one big story in the world of business and finance with the classic equity mates flavor. Because who says business news needs to be all business? Not me, that's for sure. Uh, super excited about this podcast. So we're going to drop uh, drop the first episode into our feed next week. So we hope you'll enjoy that one. And we hope that you go and subscribe to that podcast. Uh, it is available right now. But let's get started, Thomas. Nobody likes an upstart, but turns out people love startups. Uh, we'll see why money is pouring into Aussie startups. And if it looks like a recession, walks like a recession and quacks like a recession, is China in a recession? We'll take a look at that a little bit later. Australia's housing market is flat out bananas when it's compared to the rest of the world and not just recently. It's been bananas for quite some time. Uh, In fact, fun fact, the big banana was built in honour of Australia's housing market. There you go. (laughs) Thomas, also, we've got inflation, deflation, stagflation and now shrinkflation will be answering the question, are economists seriously now just taking the piss? But first, <laughs> it's time to check in on the ASX share market game. We hope you're playing along at home or wherever you're listening. Uh, the good news is that you're probably beating all of us here at Equity Mates Media if you are. You're almost certainly beating Thomas, that's for sure. Thomas, mm. would you care to regale us with your performance so far? Uh, yeah, I've had, I had a rough couple of weeks. I'm now, there's 6,700 people in the game. I'm mm. ranked at 5,967. So in the top right. 6,000, which is about where I wanted to be at this stage of the game. <laughs> you play, I mean, you're a macro guy. You're, you're big yeah. picture. You're really, 
you're playing the game as if it's going for another hundred years, um, which I, I like. Well, I just don't think you're going to win. No, no, no. So, like, I'm I'm playing macro themes, but I'm playing tail risks. So, <laughs> like, so I went long oil with the better shares mm. oil index on the outside chance that I thought the war in Ukraine could could go really pear shaped and all prices would spike higher. That mm. was a tail risk. It's not you know it wouldn't it was no one central scenario, but I thought it could happen. It didn't mm. happen, so no. no, lost lost out on that one. I mean, that's one way of thinking about it. I would also say perhaps that you're just overthinking it and that's what's got you into this hole. <laughs> yeah. So you talk about tail risks and we all go, oh, I've got no idea what he's talking about. Um, and guess what? We all make up the market. <laughs> So you're you're providing some some pretty solid analysis. Mm. The rest of us, I bought baby bunting and it's up because because <laughs> babies get born in March. That was my only my one mm. thing. I did thought we should just take a look at the uh, Equity Mates League this week, oh, yeah, and yeah. Mr. Diddy, uh, which I, li- I like the name, Mr. Oh, Diddy. Yeah, yeah. Is killing it. He's leading on sixty thousand dollars at the moment. So if you if you're not familiar with the game, you start with a cash balance of fifty thousand dollars or pretend money, but it's good fun. Fifty thousand dollars. He has he has gone up to sixty thousand dollars and is leading the Equity Mates Media League. Mister Diddy's number four overall. He's crushing it. Really, mm-hmm. just repping yeah. the league, carrying mm-hmm. the league. You might carrying say. The league. <laughs> Uh, what was interesting, though, is that uh, I mentioned Sasha before, uh, host of the soon-to-be uh, number one rated podcast, The Dive. Uh, Sasha is leading the way, from what I can see, among among mm. Equity Mates people. Uh, so she's sitting in sixty fourth, seventy fourth. Thomas, yours truly, oh. uh, with fifty thousand dollars. I'm in profit. I couldn't help but notice that our uh, our so-called experts here at Equity Mates Media, Alec, Bryce, and you. Uh, all under the $50,000 starting point. So you've all mm. made a loss, which begs the question, why would you take any advice from any of you clowns? <laughs> yeah, like, it, I mean, it's the nature of the game. You're looking for mm. stocks that have that potential to pop, which means you're sort of playing, you know, you're playing in territory where things, you're taking, you're taking gambles. You know, the mm. people, have, people have got 20% in a, in a month or so. They've, they've taken a gamble and it's paid off. Uh, we've taken some gambles and they haven't paid off. <laughs> <laughs> So hang on, we're all gambling. It's just yeah. some of us are better at gambling. Is that the takeaway? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know. I mean, like I had a few good theses for like sectors to play in. So like, you know, I went for city chic as a, you know, urban reopening kind of story. I went for the ACDC battery uh, mm. ETF on the, ba- on the back of that crucial minerals story we covered last week. I went for mm. near map and zero on the back of the government's um, investment in small business. They had mm. a, like a cashback scheme on on small business investment. That's the thesis I'm I'm working with, and then within that, I'm trying to pick winners without knowing an awful lot about these companies or having much time to research them. Mm. So I'm just you know having a stab. But yeah, it's not hasn't worked so out for me so far. So you're pretending, aren't you? Like you're not. In, <laughs> so you said you've got a good thesis. I would argue that's terrible because it's resulted in you in you making significant losses. Mm. Really, you're not you're not giving this the attention that it deserves. I would point out though that it's not too late to join the game. And in fact, you might, Thomas, you might even want to just cancel yours <laughs> and register again. Yeah. <laughs> Make a quick four thousand uh, dollars. Not too late to register. I, I mean, because sitting in one hundred and fiftieth, 
is is the last place, and I, I don't want to bring focus to your Frenchie ninety, but forty four thousand three hundred ninety five dollars in a hundred and fiftieth. So if you started right now, you are you're literally like five and a half thousand dollars ahead of last place. So as long as you make some trades, because if you haven't done any action yet, then you're actually ranked even lower than that, uh, even though you might have fifty thousand. So. Not too late to join. Registration's open until the 28th of April. Game runs through till the middle of June. So plenty of time to make some sweet virtual cash, take home some bragging rights. Oh, I thought you had something to say. No, no, sorry. No, no. I wouldn't say anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas. So apparently Aussie startups are rolling in the money. What's going on there? Yeah, so we got some data put together by a character called Chris Gillings at Cutthrough Venture. Um, mm. And it just tracks the amount of uh, venture capital funding that's been announced. And we got data for the March quarter, the, so the first three months of the year. And it was a, a tonking $3.6 billion. So that three, three months is more than all of 2020 combined. 20, all of 2020 combined had $3.1 billion. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so we've had more than a whole year in. I mean, that was the COVID year, to be fair. But mm. no, that's that was. But going back, but pre-COVID, that's a fairly typical year, three three billion. And then twenty twenty one was massive, so it jumped from three point one billion all the way to ten point one billion. What? And then we're on we're on track again with three point six in this quarter. So yeah, Aussie startup companies are just landing a whole bunch of venture capital, and they're laughing. Wow. So these are not public companies. You can't buy into these companies yet. These are all private companies and mm. venture capitalists are just kind of just loading up. Yeah, gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm. Yeah, just going to say $1 billion for fintech and almost a billion for enterprise software. So that's where the bulk of it's going, but yeah, right. they're crushing it. So the big question then is why? I mean, why, why so much and why now? I think the answer is cheap money and money printing is mm. so, sort of what it seems to be. So saying, so yeah, so there's like, there's a lot of money still coming through the system. Yeah, so Gillings, Mr. Gillings is saying there's considerable local VC dry powder. So dry powder apparently is the term for venture, venture capital funding that hasn't found a home yet. So <laughs> local <Yeah>. V... <laughs> Not the only powder going around in venture capital circles, <laughs> I don't reckon. <laughs> oh, I saw that one coming, but it was still good. <laughs> Yeah. So that yeah. So there's lo- yeah, a lot of dry powder still there, which needs deploying, and the international funds' appetites for Aussie startups appears to be holding up. So expects it to continue. There's a quote there in this article from EVP partner Justin Lipman, and he's saying it's never been a better time to be a founder. The weight of dry powder, literally hundreds of billions of dollars that has been raised globally, is dollars that's committed and has to be deployed under almost fixed-term deployment schedules. Right. This quote I find super interesting. So what he's saying is that that the venture capitalists have raised the capital firm, venture capital firms, they've raised money already. So they've they've gone mm. out, they've got. There's money flowing in and they need to do something with it. And, and so now they're sort of, they actually have to roll it out. And that's why like, it's a great time to be a founder because you have all these, money, these firms that have to put money somewhere. And so then there's a bit of a bidding war as to who gets to buy the business or get this equity in like the business. A, this sounds like an ad for a rug sale or something. This is like, <laughs> this is like we've gone crazy. We've, all, we've got too much money. The boss has said it's all got to go. We've got to spend it now. Who wants cash? Like it, yeah. it can't be that. Uh, 
I don't know. It seems um, a bit reckless. This is what the the, the critics of, of quantitative easing and money printing were saying mm. is you, you distort the market incentives because there's so much money flowing around and it all goes looking for a home that it bids up assets, it bids up profitable investments like, like a startup mm. in a way that, you know, is a bit disconnected from reality because there's just so much money in the system. And so I think that's what you can see. So all the money printing that happened in 2020 and 2021, it's still going on, but now the Fed this week is, has been saying they're going to look to unwind, move to quantitative tightening. So they're not only going to stop, they're actually going to start sucking some of that liquidity back out of the system. Mm. But that doesn't matter for this story because all it's all that money that came through in 2020 and 2021 that has made its way into venture capital firms and is now coming through into Aussie startups. So it's sort right. of coming downstream if you can if you can track it. So yeah. like at the top of the stream is the Fed and the RBA with money printing and then it moves through into the big investment firms and now it's coming down to the venture capital firms. It sounds a lot like the dot-com boom of the early 2000s where any like – 21-year-old with a Windows PC in a garage in his parents' basement or whatever was like start, you know, making a startup mm. of some kind saying, yeah, I'm, I'm computing now and people were buying these companies. Isn't that how the, the dot-com boom came unstuck? Um, so there was no, there, none of these things were actually worth anything? Yeah. I mean, it's a different story in the sense there was, there was hype around the dot-com bubble itself and that's, mm. where, that's what pulled that money in. Right. This story is more of like there's so much money it's getting pushed through that now it's looking for a home. Right. And you look at the companies involved, they're pretty, you know, they're names you heard of like ScalarPay mm. was the biggest with a $692 million round in the quarter, Immutable, Employment Hero, Linktree and Zello all got getting over $100 million. So they're sort of names mm. that I've heard of and I think are, are good companies. They're not like pets. Yeah, yeah kind of thing so isn't it comforting to know too like if you're looking for a rental property at the moment and you're struggling to make ends meet with the budget and inflation that there's just money wandering around looking for a home that's being <laughs> sunk into <laughs> sunk into startups <laughs> because we literally can't think of anything better to do with the money uh, than just i guess they, they're trying to make money i get it it's yeah, a whole yeah. business model but it's a kind of depressing thought yeah, no, the, the venture capitalists are saying there's a housing crisis too. We don't know where to house our money. <laughs> All right, Thomas, speaking of housing prices, Alan Kohler was out this week saying house prices represent the biggest failure of policy in 50 years. What's he talking about? Yeah, this is a ripper of an article he wrote for the New Daily, which is a um, org that he's got involved in since, since he left the Australian. Mm. Yeah, it's, so he, he's gone to town on house, housing prices in Australia and, and saying it's a massive, like we talk about how house prices go up and everyone says that's a great thing, but he's saying it's a, it's a total failure. It's a real tragedy that house prices have gone up the, as much as they have. So he's saying in 1980, the median house price in Australia was $70,000. By the end of last year, it was $740,000. So they've gone up 960% in over wow. those 40 years. So that's massive. He's also saying that unlike a lot of other countries, income just hasn't kept pace with house prices. So while you've had a lot of strong house price growth in a lot of other countries, income has tended to keep up. That hasn't been the case here in Australia, that, that house prices have become massively detached from income. So how did it happen? How how was, how because I saw a chart that showed Australia's house prices compared to the rest of the world, and we'll share that to 
Instagram, Facebook. Mm. So how how did we get so far away from the rest of the world? The rest of the world's tracking more or less flat, and Australia's just like see ya. <laughs> and like Leroy house prices Jenkins. through the <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. Um, <laughs> House prices yeah. are through the roof. So how did it happen? I think that chart is a bit funny and I don't imagine it's GDP weighted because I think Australia's story is pretty similar to most developed countries, right. most advanced economies. And I think the story is... <laughs> so maybe we shouldn't share it. The one chart I was going to share, you're like, nah, don't share that. That's. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, it's, it was an interesting one, but I haven't seen... Like when I was like, whoa, that doesn't look right because, mm. you know, like we have debt to GDP. We have a lot of debt in Australia. It's the highest in the world, us us and New Zealand up there. We also have, it's a financialization story. So it's like lower interest rates. We've just come down and down and down. And these things, you know, pretty advanced economy story. And that's what's sent house prices through the roof. Right. That and the sort of the tax settings as well, which Alan Kohler has a dig at. But the thing I really like about this, I mean, it's interesting because Alan Kohler is one of the grey beards of Australian economics. Like he hosts the ABC News. He was the uh, maybe like chief economic correspondent for The Australian for a long time. Mm. We've He's got, got a good podcast the, too, The Money Cafe mm. with Alan Kohler. Yeah, yeah. Not to be confused with the other Money Cafe that he separated from that was run by The Australian. Yeah. But yeah, it's good. It's yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so he's as well respected an economist as there is in the country. Mm. And he's really just gone to town with this one. And I think he's reached a stage in his career where he's like not afraid to break some eggs mm. um, and he's gone for it. And so he's saying house prices are not wealth there. And he calls them destructive wealth saying rising house prices don't create wealth. They redistribute it saying like it's meaningless and destructive to talk about house, rising house prices being a good thing because if you sell your house, you have to buy another one or your children do. So it's only rising house prices only benefit those with extra properties. Right. And he's saying it's, it's changed society in, in a massive way because there's now genera- generations of young Australians are being impoverished by the cost of shelter. Australia is no longer an egalitarian, egalitarian meritocracy. Material success is a function of geography and class, not accomplishment. Oh, man, finally. If I had a dollar for every time I'd said to someone, Australia is not an egalitarian meritocracy, <laughs> I would... Just, well, I, just, I just heard just, your voice when I read those words. Egalitarian what now? Um Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's tying all the wealth up in families and they're just kind of continually getting richer and richer and the higher they go, the more that's locking out anyone else from getting into it. Is this how dynasties started, like queens and kings in Game of Thrones time? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the Bank of Davos was obviously involved there. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, uh, but re- real, real estate, right? The real mm. in real estate isn't that it's a real thing as opposed to an unreal thing. It's real as in like regal. It's like a derivative of royal. Ah, so it's right. like the royal estate. So land was always contra- controlled by the crown um, mm. and then got distributed out from there. Yeah, I, I, I think his, his focus is a little narrower than that because you look, go back to 1980, it was very rare for, for people to retire without owning their own home. Hmm. And that's that's becoming more and more common that people are are, beca- are renting their entire lives, 
and going into retirement and old age without owning a home. Mm. That's a real problem for them, but it's also a problem for their children because a lot of wealth gets accumulated in the, ho- in the house and gets passed on passed on to the kids. Mm. And that's what he's saying, like for a lot of people, like if their parents were renters, that really diminishes their chance of being able to buy a, buy a house. That's a crap outcome. Like that's mm. not that's not an outcome society should look at and go, yep, we nailed that. Does it affect does it hurt the government too? Because the government then like if you if you retire and you have a house and you've got super and stuff like that, then you don't necessarily need the the government support. So mm. if we have more and more of people coming out of you know, or going into retirement without wealth or without mm. property and, and the other things that go with it, then is that just putting more pressure on the government? So won't the government mm. need to do something about this? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, you know, like politics is always weighing up um, voting blocks. And Saul, Saul Eslake, who's another great Aussie economist, makes this point saying like in any given year there's 100,000 people trying to buy a house and mm. 10 million people who own a house who don't want to see house prices fall. So the the pressure in any given year for house prices to fall is really stacked against that equation mm. and the pressure for, to keep house prices afloat is is really important and any government that oversaw a, a sizable fall in house prices wouldn't survive the the next election right so yeah it is a failure of public policy but it's also kind of the nature of democracy and just the australian value system that we prefer to eat our children than have equal <laughs> outcomes for everyone. Right. So what's the solution then? What's the, where do we go from here? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is the, he, like, there's an, the government just concluded another inquiry, which was a massive waste of time again. Like there's been right. you know, dozens since the 1970s because no one, no one, this is the thing, no one, no one wants to fix it. Like in a political economy sex, sense, there isn't a problem because the vast majority of homeowners in Australia actually like the fact that the house prices are high and that house prices mm. keep going up. It's only a problem for the young and for the people who don't have houses. So at some point, you know, you got to wait for that that equation to change for the for for renters to become a, a large and powerful enough of a voting block or for enough people to care about this problem. Mm. But it's also very hard because, you know, like if you bought a house in the last few years, you might be sympathetic to this idea that, you, you know, ha- expensive house prices are a massive problem. But if your house price falls and you go into negative equity, that's a big problem for you personally. Mm. There, isn't a re- there isn't an easy answer that, that deals with all of those things. But what would be good is if the government stopped making it worse, like by, <laughs> <laughs> by coming up with policies that sort of amplify these things. That would be nah. a start. You, you just said we can't bring house prices down. Hmm. So, or what? Maybe wages? Then can we just can we just boost wages? Is that the go? Yeah, there's a lot of businesses that will try and block you on that one. <sighs> yeah, Man, I'm getting it? blocked everywhere these days. Politics is difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we take some time to mull that over? We'll have a short break, take a word from our sponsors, and be back with more comedian versus economist right after this. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. You can, of course, send us an email, cve at, cve at equitymates.com or on the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. And you can get us also on social media at cvepodcast. Thomas, is China in a recession? 
Yeah, this is what a few few analysts are saying that they think that China might already be in recession. Mm. Yeah, or definitely looking at a slow growth outcome for the current quarter. Yeah, and there's the Chinese economy is facing some pretty major headwinds, and and this so this is a bit of a story. Like we we've been pretty focused on the war in Ukraine and the energy crisis and the commodity bo- price boom that's followed that. But when you look sort of down the road a bit, sort of into the second half of the year, this could be the number one news story potentially is China sort of having a something of a hard landing. Is this still the Evergrande situation or what, you know, is that the name? They changed Evergrande. their name from Evergrande to used to be grand, I think. <laughs> <laughs> still kind of grand. Still kind of grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, they're struggling. Yeah, I mean, they're surviving. Like I have, they haven't wound up. They're struggling along. But a lot of the big developers are functionally bankrupt, it seems. Um, right. They've defaulted on loans. The interesting thing that, that's flowed out of that is it's causing a bit of havoc in, in credit markets in China. But... The other thing that's sort of done is is no one is buying properties anymore. Or no one's buying new properties because even mm. even if you go to a good developer, if you, if you think you're talking to a good developer, the whole development space is in so much trouble that you've got no confidence that the developer isn't going to collapse and isn't going to take <laughs> all its money with with it. All so, right. Yeah. So no one's buying anything. So new new property transactions are down forty six percent on twenty twenty one levels and down about eighty percent on normal levels. Wow. House sales have totally frozen up, and houses the property sector is a big part of the Chinese economy. Mm. That's hit the skids, and that's that's then obviously taking down good developers. You know, so China introduced their three red lines policy. Mm. which would hold a bunch of limits on leverage and things like that. And that's where, where Evergrande got caught because they were way over the lines and to, to sort of backpedal and get on the right side of those lines meant massive deleveraging and, and just a whole bunch of pain. But there was a bunch of good developers on the, on the right side of those lines, but now they can't sell to anyone because no one, mm. no one has any faith in the market. And so, yeah, property sales have tanked. I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing an opportunity here, Thomas. People can't buy a house in Australia. People can't mm. sell a house in China. There's, yeah, an op- yeah. there's a union there that we could... We could we it's a win-win. Win-win. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing with this is normally when property sales would crash like they have, the mm. People's Bank of China would step in and, and cut interest rates and they, they can actually quite... They can direct lending to certain regions and they would try to spark things up. But they're not doing that. Instead, they've established a financial stability protection fund Mm. to be able to deal with major financial crisis and they're setting up a comprehensive cross-agency mechanism for risk detection and disposal. (laughs) (laughs) So they've just sort of gone, yep, this looks like it's going to get ugly, we better get ready for it. So, yeah, they're falling out of the sky, they've gone and bought some parachutes and they're just going to soften the landing a bit. Yeah, yeah. I Can't mean, this, this is this is this is what happens in a one-party state. Like we talk about, you know, what can the government do? Mm. This is the government doing something. They're like, mm. let's just crash the property market because it's getting out of control. Right. Let's rein in the let's rein in the leverage of the big developers. Let's let's get them under the under the thumb. And if that means a massive financial stability risk event, we'll just mm. deal with it. That's what you can do in a one-party state. Well, it's a known quantity then, isn't it? Is that mm. the thinking? So they're like, well, we know it. We could try and stop it, which is probably going to fail. We'll pour in heaps of, of resources, energy, money, effort to try and stop this thing failing. Or we could just assume yeah. it's going to fail, stop trying and deal with whatever, whatever happens, be ready for the uh, next phase. 
I don't I don't think that's quite it. I think I think the question they're looking at is do we kick the can along? Do we mm. f- flood some more liquidity into the property development sector and just let it let it limp along long? Or do we bring it down now before it gets more out of control? And so they're they're choosing short term pain over long term pain. And that's kind of the opposite you get in democracies like Australia. Like we should really bring down house prices, for example, because it's creating massive wealth inequality. Hmm. But there's no political will to do that because there's a lot of entrenched interests around higher property prices. And so every consecutive government, because they work into an election cycle, chooses long-term pain over short-term pain. Dare I say it almost sounds like a better system. Like in, we're kind of shackled by the need for votes in Australia mm. because no one's prepared to make any tough decisions because it'll cost votes and, then, and therefore it'll cost government. They won't be running the country anymore. It's tricky. I mean, I would still prefer a democracy over not, but it is a problem that, that, that short-term political cycles anchor interests in the short term and mm. big problems like climate change, for example, just get pushed down the road. It's, some, it's someone else's problem. It's another government's problem. Mm. And so you don't get sort of that long-term action or your infrastructure spending is a classic example. You look in the latest budget, it's all pork barreling. There's almost no long-term vision driving the infrastructure spend. It's all short-term electoral cycles. Mm. That, that's the system we've got. That's the challenge we've got. Like I don't, I don't know that a one-party state is the answer to that problem, but it's worth <laughs> acknowledging that, that it is a problem. <laughs> It'd be a pretty radical idea in Australia, to be honest. As, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see if you get Alan Kohler on board that one. <laughs> so uh, nice. coming back to the China story, so the, so the property sector, which is a big part of the economy, that's in a world of pain. At the mm. same time, they're still going after a zero COVID policy. Yeah. So even though the rest of the world's kind of moved on from that, even Western Australia's moved on from that, they're still going hard at z- for zero COVID. And that means like last week... Um, Shanghai, you know, you've heard of that city. That's 26 million people. That's been complete, gone into complete lockdown last week. Mm. In classic China style, they had drones patrolling the streets, making yeah. sure everyone was staying home. And that's not the only city. So, yeah, COVID cases have spiked quite like they've gone through the roof recently in China. Mm. As a result, lockdowns are happening all over the place. But when you lock down a city, like and the like the major financial center of your country, that has a big impact on your economy. I think they're relaxing that though now. They're, they're slowly kind of going, you know what, I think this is, we need, mm. might need to change our approach here. Because from what I read, the low vaccination rates were a big problem still. So, right, so right they kind of haven't been able to let it rip as it were as a lot of other places have done because the vaccination rates are still fairly low mm-hmm. comparatively. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's what they're kind of they're kind of wrestling with now. But, well, it would be um, interesting to see, yeah, but, I mean, the, the damage is done. So you look at uh, movement mm. and tourism numbers, they're down to 39% of normal levels. So they're, they're through the floor. Mm. Um, you have the PMI, which is the Purchasing Managers Index, which is a survey of Chinese business leaders. Um, so both business activity and new orders are down to the lowest level since the first outbreak in 2020. So the economic data in China is a little bit fudgy. Like mm. they, the government seems to have a bit of a handle on it to print numbers that they want to print, but the PMI seems to be a pretty good index. That's through the floor. So. That's it there. So that's so it seems like the domestic economy, you, you, the rest of the economy outside property is struggling a bit as well. And then at the same time, then you've got exports and exports, they're exporting into an economy that 
through inflation, through the war in Ukraine, through rising interest rates in America, is looking at oh, and the big story is a bit of a shift away from goods. So we went, we went lot, we spent a lot of money on goods through 2020 and 21 because we couldn't buy services. That's mm-hmm. looking to unwind in 2022 as we reopen. We've all, we're, the houses are full of stuff. We're going to go out and get all the service stuff that we got. But right. China doesn't export services; they export goods. So while 2020 and 2021 were good good export years for China because everyone was buying lots of goods, 2022 is not looking so strong. And mm-hmm. so you have this situation where China's got a weakening export sector, a property sector hitting the skids and a domestic economy struggling under lockdown. And that's all looking like a pretty rough year for China. What does it mean for the rest of the world? I mean, is it, like, is it likely Adam. to... It's not, not good. good. Oh, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, it's not good. I mean, China China's a very important player in the in the scheme of things. Like it's a mm. it's a block effectively. You can kind of think it alongside Europe. Um, and you imagine Europe going into recession. It's it's as it's as big as that. Mm. Um, has big big flow on impacts into Asia and particularly and into the global economy. Big big impact on Australia as an iron ore exporter uh, and commodity exporter. So yeah, it's it's going to create extra headwinds given the 2022 is already looking at a number of headwinds for the australian economy and for the developed market economies there's a there's a probably another big one coming through in china well that's a that's a cheery uh cheery <laughs> outlook for us all to get a, get excited about looking forward to easter and <laughs> having a nice time <laughs> turns out by the time i get back the world might have gone to shit <laughs> all right thomas talk to me about shrinkflation what is shrinkflation? Yeah, so this came from an article written by Andrew Lee, who's the Shadow Assistant Minister for Treasury on the, mm. the Labor side of politics. Uh, tackling the big issues, he's saying that stuff is getting smaller. You're paying the same amount of money for less stuff. This is what we call shrinkflation. Right. So, because I was going to say we've got shrinkflation, mm. but we already had deflation as a word mm. that existed that we could have used, but they've mm. gone with shrinkflation instead. Yeah, I mean, shrinkflation is is just another form of inflation. I think the saying the U.S. economist Pippa Malgram came up with it, saying it's when manufacturers sell us less product for the same price. So rather than the same product for more price, they're selling uh. less product for the same price. So you're paying more for the same amount of stuff, but you just don't notice it because you're actually getting less stuff. Like what they did with tubes. The tubes used to be like, like you know, those uh, they're like a sauce, saucy flavored cheesel thing. Amazing, you should eat them. Uh, oh. I don't, I don't think you can get them anymore. But they used, I remember that they shrunk the packet of tubes, probably, and all chips, I think. Yeah. All chips used to be like 60 grams or something, then they went to 50, yeah. all of a sudden they were 45 grams. And they started adding a lot more air, though, I noticed. It was about the same time ah, they started, they, right. like, pardon the pun, they were inflating the chip packets to cope with, <laughs> to cope with shrinkflation mm. to, or to at least make it look like they weren't getting smaller. So Andrew Lee has a bunch of examples saying Freddo frogs used to be 15 grams, they're now 12. Right. Uh, new variety of Tim Tams have nine biscuits in a pack, not the 11 you find in the originals. Huh. Um, Maltesers. They're just, called, just called Tim's now as well. <laughs> Tim's. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a Tim? Aren't these Tim Tams? No, they used to be. Used we to. lost the Tam during <laughs> shrinkflation of the 2022. <laughs> Great shrinkflation crisis. 
Yeah, and then Maltesers down from 144 grams to 132. Pringles right right size from 165 grams to 134. This is cruel. Like people are in lockdown. People are isolating because they got COVID, and you're taking out Maltesers, <laughs> Tim Tams. Like what? Are, what are people supposed to eat when they're feel, sitting on the couch feeling sorry for themselves? I've got COVID. I can't go anywhere. I might have some some Maltesers. Oh, it doesn't feel like there's as many as there used to be. Yeah. Well, what about mm. the people panic buying toilet paper? So mm. Kimberly Clark reduced the length of their squares of toilet paper from eleven centimeters to ten. Really? Mm. I thought I was having trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you need the supersize. Oh man, I did have a thought though. I thought we've got so many flations now, right? We've got inflation, mm. we've got deflation, stagflation, shrinkflation. I thought maybe we could just bundle them all together and we could call them the United Flations. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, I reckon that might do us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we do really do appreciate it. Don't forget, you can check out all the other great podcasts from Equity Mates Media. Get started investing. Equity Mates Investing Podcast. You're in good company. Talk money to me. Crypto Curious, and of course, the brand new podcast from Equity Mates Media, The Dive, featuring none other than our super talented Sasha, who produces this show coming to your ears three times a week, breaking down one big story in the world of business and finance with the classic Equity Mates flavour uh, because who says business news needs to be all business. So stick around next week. Uh, it will be dropping into your regular CVE uh, feeds. So we hope you enjoy that. We hope you'll subscribe and we hope that you will join us again in two weeks' time uh, for more Comedian versus Economist. We'll talk to you then. Bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. <laughs>